You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. What keeps the school running would be all the gifts that folks give, which is quite true. But what we really say keeps the school running when we're there is prayer. And um, I'd like to start with a word of prayer. I'll wait for folks to get back to their seats. It's really nice to be back. It's neat to see folks. If you're wondering which is the Kenyan flag, it's the black, red, and green one just next to that pillar, next to the Union Jack, sorry. All right. I always feel badly walking around during a prayer, so I'm, I'm just going to wait a moment more. Okay, let's pray. Our dear Lord, we thank you for the beauty of this day, for the, the love and the light that you show us each day. We thank you that you brought us together to worship you and that uh, you are worthy and that we are privileged to be able to come before you and praise you. We thank you for the time of Advent when we can, when we can think about um, the coming of your son and remember that moment when people were waiting and looking. We pray that we would wait and look for that also and not be distracted by so many other things in life. We praise you for friends, for neighbors, for those who are with us now, for those who will have the opportunity to share with. We ask your blessing on each conversation and on our, our time today. We ask that we'd listen and that you would bless the words that I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So we live on the top end of this little campus, and um, just below our house is a an old building named after one of the early superintendents, Downing Hall. And it's so old that it seems to be drooping into the ground. The sides of the roof just sort of come out level with the grass. And that's where they hold drama productions. So Laura and I sort of tag team when we're watching the kids. And if you want to see a drama production the high school is putting on, you got to usually see just half of it. So I was watching RVA's drama production of The Man Who Invented Christmas. And if you have... Um, seen the movie. They, they tried to follow the movie so well that they didn't want to step on any toes for not getting permission to use their script. Um, but it was beautiful. I was struck by how they changed scenes. The play began with dimming all the lights, except for these street lights that look like flames in those glass cases, you know, the old style. And they didn't give much light. And when all the actors and scenes were in place, the main lights would flood, flood part of the stage. And then the action would begin. So we've arrived at the Advent season, in which we celebrate God's preparation of his land and his people for the arrival of his son, Jesus. As you've for sure heard in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. After years of preparation, The fullness of time from Galatians 4.4 has finally arrived, and God's action of redemption is about to be played out for us. 
And we get to see this in the person of Jesus. But our starting point is to admit where we begin. We begin in darkness. The people Isaiah speaks of are the Jewish people, even those who have been following the law and waiting for their Messiah. Their focus has been on doing better, on putting in the effort to catch themselves doing wrong, on giving the right sacrifices that are required, and in looking for this better time when the Messiah comes. It seems there's nothing wrong with that, but if you've read the Gospels and you get a feel for how Jesus introduces himself, it's really clear that they're confused about who Jesus is and what his message is. Who was he? Wasn't his purpose to bring back the nation's days of glory? I mean, Rome should disappear, right? It seems odd. Even the disciples were confused when Jesus told them, I will suffer, I will die, I'll be raised again. And they just couldn't understand how that made any sense. But we too are in darkness. I was struck by the line in the song, the light invaded our darkness, almost as though we wanted to defend it. When we admit it, it comes from our inability to get away from our sin. We might work to try to escape it. We might try to earn a way out of it or feel better about it by living as best we can. But we still can't get away from who we are deep inside, rebels to God's ways. We need this light. Even, even now we fall into the trap of trying to fill our lives or those we love with things that seem good to us but leave us unfulfilled. As Christmas becomes more and more commercialized, we can bring that rat race deep into the season. As you've probably heard, especially if you're in retail, we have six days less of um, shopping this Christmas season because Thanksgiving was late, and that will probably cost the economy billions of dollars. Uh, so <laughs> the focus is already way off on where the money's going, how easily we're distracted from the true light. So let's look at the light. What is this light? Now, sometimes it seems obvious. Well, the identity of the light, it's, it's Jesus, right? That's the Sunday school answer. Everyone knows that. Now, that's true, but let's look a little more deeply at how God introduces this light so we can understand who it is and what our role is. If we go to John 8, verse 12, it's a short phrase here, but Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And I think most all of us have heard that. That's very familiar. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We know that Jesus' life reveals God's plans that were made from the beginning. His life shows us what God is doing in history. But to understand this light of life further, let's look at John 1. And if, you're, if you've got your Bible, if we could flip there, John 1, 3, and 4. Um, this beautiful introduction John does to the person of Jesus. You know, he's spoken of him as the Word. But starting with verse 3. I read, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. That brings a different twist. It helps to add in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God created light from the beginning, so he creates new life in the believer now. This life is another piece of identity of the true life. It's the life in us that shows how to live and is meant to shine from our hearts. So when we have God's life growing in us, that's the life he's also talking about when he says, this light has come. As Jesus summarizes it, this comes from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 14. He says, you are the light of the world. So it's not just Jesus in his, himself, but the life he puts in us and the fact that we are the light ourselves as believers. Now, you might think it's uh, working at a school for missionaries, kids would be kind of like being surrounded by the best-behaved Sunday school crowd with a very high missions interest. And uh, while most are well-behaved, yes, and um, there is a high proportion who have an interest in missions and come back even, um, not all are even children of missionaries. About 10% are from local Kenyan families. And among all the kids, those who are believers are at different places as they grow in their faith, just like kids here. Some share doubts with staff, and a few aren't confident they have faith at all. I'm proud to say that as a whole, the RVA staff welcome their honesty. The student chaplain and the lead high school music teacher, they got together and arranged a time for the kids to share questions after their study hall time in the late evening. And I couldn't go to most of these, but I really wanted to see what they were like and how they went. So once the kids were in bed one night, I went down to the, to the um, it's called the chai room. <laughs> it's where the, the faculty meet for, for tea each morning. And uh, listened in on the conversation. Some students were asking hard questions. The staff and other students were doing their best to answer. But um, a doctor even came from the lower, outside the school perimeter. We have sort of a school boundary and, and a fence. And then there's a lower station with a hospital. And this, this man used to be an atheist, he and his wife both. And they became believers through studying basically our bodies and the, the creation God's made. He said, I, I can't get away from it. God's fingerprint is through everything. And he gave very good answers. Sometimes I wish I'd been more motivated to study reasons behind the Christian faith. Maybe I could articulate some good answers to some of those hard questions that can keep people from being open to believing. After the evening's discussion on the walk back, I found myself talking to one of my physics students. Turns out he's a son of a former classmate almost, within a year or so being at RVA. And so I, I felt like I should tell him a little about my background. I said, there are two reasons I could say I was drawn to Christ. One seems a little simplistic. If God was taught to me when I was little, and the uh, reality of his existence was just sort of assumed by everyone around me and believed by my family, and I saw the other missionaries, it's, it just seemed like, well, okay, that's how it is. But it became my own when I realized that as I studied the Bible and as I learned about Jesus, there's a, a song that captures it well. It's from 1985. I think Steve Green sung it at some point. But it's about the walk with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And he's speaking to Jews. These Jews know the scriptures. They've read about the Messiah. They're looking forward to the Messiah, but they didn't recognize him. And they say, now he's dead and he's gone. I don't know what's going on. And 
Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, why they couldn't include that in Luke, I don't know. I'd love to see that. Um, But as he spoke to them, they started to connect things. They started to grasp, this is who Jesus is. This is what his ministry is meant to be. So actually, that, that one who we really thought could be the Messiah maybe really is, and they don't know they're speaking to him. But the phrase in the song says, and the words rang strong and true, like a once familiar strain. It's like you hear someone sing a song, and you've known this song. And you say, oh yeah, I know that song. I love that song. I haven't sung it in so long. But it's, it's there. The second for me was that God answers all that I wish that he might be. What I mean is, I think most of us understand we want to worship someone who's holy, who's all-powerful, who's just, who's flawless, blameless, who deserves all the glory. But on the other hand, I know I'm nowhere near there. And I want him to care about his creation. I want him to maybe love it. And a sacrificial love would be an amazing love. And as I study who Jesus is and who he's shown in the Bible, I see these things. And that's who God is. I want him to bring us together with him in some way that I can't explain that shows he values who he made. He loves us. And these all are accomplished in the incarnation, in Jesus becoming man. God sets his throne aside to be born in a manger to a poor and vulnerable couple. He introduces himself first to shepherds, then spend years of his teaching reintroducing who the Messiah is and showing God's love through healing, preaching, serving, loving his own people. We studied a book in the uh, sophomore Bible class that, that I've been teaching and it was recommended by our chaplain. It's uh, called The Gospel-Centered Life. It's by Robert Thune. And uh, if you haven't read it, it's a very helpful book that shows you how the gospel's tied to every piece of what our life is and how we're meant to live. One way he describes sort of a key idea is he says, when we grow in the Christian life, we grow in two ways. One of them, is knowing ourselves better. One of them is knowing God better. And as we get to know ourselves better, we realize how darkly sinful we are. And it's, it's depressing. And we, we feel like we can never even be near where God is. If you look at the chart, he has this chart. It's kind of hard to read. But on the bottom line, it says, um, discovering awareness of my flesh and sinfulness. But on the top, it says a growing awareness of God's holiness. Now, this doesn't mean God becomes more holy. And I hope we don't become more sinful, especially as he's working in our lives. But it's how we understand those, how we see ourselves. And we would despair once we see how those are so different. And the more we know about them, the more different they are. But the bridge is the cross. And he says, one of the things that you want to learn as you grow in your Christian life is to let the cross be bigger and bridge the gap even better so that finally it connects these two things that we realize are so far apart. So this reaching across comes from the love of God. And I want to give you a few thoughts about his love. I know that it could be uh, 
a whole season of study to understand God's love. And if it's any comfort, there's a verse that says you can't understand God's love. So we'll, we'll believe that too. Um, but there's more we can learn. So let's look at the life of Jesus a little. Um, as I've taught my classes, I give a little devotional thought at the beginning of each class. And I'm just reading through the Gospels, and I am kind of behind where the, my devotional thoughts come, because I've read that a while back, but we just do a short thought. And one of the things that has come up with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, Jesus was trying to get away from the crowd when he crossed the lake. And he got to the other side, and the crowd said, basically, I saw his boat go that way. We should have gone that way. Yeah, I went around. Okay, let's meet. So they come out, and his boat comes to the other side, and guess what? The whole crowd's still there. And eventually, there were 5,000. I don't think that included everyone, but there are at least 5,000. And so it says, when he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So before he even fed the 5,000, he looked, he looked past his drainedness, his tiredness, and he said, I've got to have compassion on these people. They came to hear me. They came to see me. They came to learn about God, and that's who I am. So I need to do this. But another few lessons in, in his love come in Mark, um, Mark chapter 10. If you can flip to Mark chapter 10, this is the story of, you know, the title they give it in the Sunday school book is The Rich Young Ruler. Um, he doesn't introduce himself as rich, but it's clear by the end. I'm going to start in verse 17 and read just a few verses here. But this man comes to him. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. It's a beautiful beginning. He knows who he wants to see. He kneels before him and he has a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, as, as Jesus often speaks, it's very, it's very tricky to... Um, gather everything he means in the first pass. If he says, why do you call me good? You know what the man was thinking? He was thinking, I've been a good guy. I want to get this right. I want to follow. I want to be the person God wants me to be. And um, let me know what else I'm missing, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this down. And Jesus stops him before he even says anything else and says, why do you call me good? No one's good. Only God's good. And you'd think, that would stop him and make him think. But Jesus continues. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And if you stop there also, there's another thing he's leaving out. If you think of the Ten Commandments, those are the ones focused on our neighbor, on fellow believers, or on other, other Jews in his case. It's treat other people as you'd have them treat you. But that's the second commandment. Jesus skipped one. And he had a reason. And he said to them, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. 
So this is an understanding love. I know where you're coming from. You're coming from wanting to earn your way. You're coming from knowing the law. You're coming from a place that says, if I can just do a few more things, I'll have it down and I can earn it on my own terms. The young man knew what he'd done. He knew that he'd tried to be obedient from his youth. He'd asked a good question, a direct question. But Jesus' love is more than understanding. It's a challenging love. And he tells the man to do the next step. So Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I remember a pastor who used to say, it doesn't matter how much you possess. God's not biased against wealth, but it matters about what possesses you. And this man was held by his possessions. You might imagine the pull and security of our possessions is not as strong on missionaries. Not in Africa, I mean, you know. But sadly, we find ourselves focused on our possessions there too, too much. We buy hard to get items from missionaries leaving. Oh, I think they're leaving. They had one of those, right? Can I get that? We ask those who are coming back, can you bring me one of these? Because it's one thing I can't get in Nairobi. Um, or we come back on a visit like this and take back, you know, 10 trunks. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get more stuff because we'd really like to have this for the next year and a half, two years. <sighs> but fortunately, God reaches to us in Jesus to help us get past ourselves. I'd like to go to the prodigal son just to see a, a picture of that. Luke 15, 20. If we go to Luke 15. You know the story. And I was reading, a, while you're going to find that, I was reading a, um, a book about how we sometimes look at things through Western eyes when we read the Bible. And a theology professor gave a simple assignment to his class, and he said, can you tell the story of the prodigal son to your neighbor? So they'd read it, and they'd tell it to their neighbor. And he found that almost all the Westerners skipped the famine. The boy came back to his dad because there was a famine. And the thing we focus on is the disobedience. And, you know, he finally got what was coming to him, and then he had to come back. But he found that those who lived in countries that had famine, in one case, he had a Russian um, uh, theology group that did the same exercise, and he said 90% of them mentioned the famine. Why? Because they had had a famine just a few years before in Russia. So it's, it's easy to overlook things. But I want to focus on the return to the Father. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. You can see the compassion in God's love again, but this is a love that celebrates. So when the repentance occurs, the celebration is there. 
God is waiting for that moment. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that he doesn't treat us like we usually would treat someone else. If someone's overdue and, and finally fessing up and getting back in line with what they should be doing, we usually give them that sort of, it's about time, all right, good, glad to have you on board, now we can get something done, let's move on. But God celebrated, stopped everything, and threw a party. And uh, we could learn from the older brother, but that's for another time. Another characteristic of his love. This one is, it's a strange little verse that just shows up. Jesus knows why he's come to earth. He knows he's come to be a light. He knows he's come to go to Jerusalem and to die. And when the time comes, he just goes there. And it's not a secret. If you read, this is in Luke 9. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. We're not told exactly why they didn't like that he was headed to Jerusalem. Maybe they didn't like that this was a Samaritan's town and Jerusalem was still a focus of an event and why should you keep going there? Why don't you stop? But I think it was probably... They knew he was going to something dangerous and he was determined and he wasn't going to be set aside. This is a determined love. One that says, I'm going to follow through and I'm going to finish what God gives me to do. I'm sure we could go through many other characteristics, but I want to highlight this one. This is one of those verses that you just want to hear playing back in your mind when you're overwhelmed or when you feel the pressures of life just catching on. This is Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It's part of a prayer. I've heard it prayed for the, the students or the faculty at, at the school sometimes, but uh, it ends this way. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's one of those strange things where they say, we want you to know something you can't really know, <laughs> or uh, you know things like comprehend the incomprehensible, this sort of thing. But know has the sense of relating to, or connecting with, or being familiar with. And he's saying, I want you to know this love that you're going to be able to study all your life and never understand completely. I want you to know something that's so broad, it's never going to be something you reach the edge of or something that's so deep you can dig down into God's love and you not find the bottom. And when you have become more and more familiar with it, God will be filling you. And this is a love that we hope grows in us and reflects in our lives. So, we find ourselves teaching at RVA. It's a school primarily for missionaries' kids. Some might say it's an odd school in location, in mixing so many cultures, and having so many kids whose parents are in mission work. It's quite different from teaching at a public school, but we find ourselves with opportunities to connect with the kids in other ways. Starting class with the devotional thought, as I mentioned, teaching Sunday school, hosting caring community, leading preschool, 
organizing grocery delivery, practical things, attending outreach events. Now we're joining into uh, helping the sophomore class as sponsors. We can tell you more about that, but it's, it's uh, another weekend responsibility for events. Now, having graduated from RVA, being back there feels very familiar. I feel at home. I look forward to getting up, and even if it's a super busy day and I'm going all the way until 5.30 when I get home, um, it's, it's a joy. I really enjoy teaching there and working there. And I'm learning to welcome times to see the students discuss their faith because even though you know my job is teaching science and uh, managing events, I want to have those times when the students are sharing and when we have conversations like I had with that student on the way back from that um, evening study. Let me give you one more picture of light. This is another memory of light in the darkness. We live up on this escarpment. It's a, a valley drop-off. The, the most similar I can think of is as you come out of Asheville on this new highway, there's a big drop and the highway just goes down, 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 down. And you sort of look at the valley sort of starts out below you. That view is there all the time for us. And then it comes up on the other side, just, just beyond where you can usually see it, hidden in the fog. But um, down in the valley, we see a lot of people who live near us. At night, Kenya Power and Light, KPL, has connected up more and more customers as the country's developed, as China's invested. And um, what was once a dark valley after nightfall now has collections of lights. There are towns, and then there are these little snaking lines linking traffic with um, roads. But the power is not too reliable. So at times, the lights will just go off. Now, places like our boarding school and the Mission Hospital right below us have backup generators. And they're diesel. They kick on almost right away. And it's just when the power blinks that they go on, off, on, off, on, off as they're trying to decide who's going who's to actually supply the electricity. But um, I'm sure the people in the valley can look up at times like that and see our lights. And it makes me wonder what they think. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As communities were meant to be light in prominent places, which draw others to the love of God. I wonder when this electricity fails down in the valley, you know, and Kenya Power and Light can't keep the electricity on, and they look at RVA and they see our lights, what do they think? I hope they don't see us as a, a community that has extra resources and can afford to keep comfortable with the lights on. I hope they've interacted some with RVA, maybe with um, the staff, maybe they know someone who attends there, maybe someone on outreach, maybe someone who's come to the hospital, I hope they think I've, I've seen the light of God in their lives. I'm glad they share God's love and glorify him with their gifts. What about here in Hillsboro? Does the light of Christ shine out from EBC in such a way that those in the community rejoice with what God is doing in the lives of us here at EBC? Our identity comes from revealing a love we've gotten from God. And if we truly have that love and let it go forth to others, then we will be able to share the message that comes in Advent. As Advent leads us on to Christmas, it's important to remember this is a great chance to point to this love. 
I know it, there's an event tonight. I didn't even know about that until um, Pastor announced it, and that's a, a great thing to hear that happening. And I hope that you have opportunities to share with people then. But just the draw of the baby and the Christmas message is easy to connect with people. We were at a Christmas caroling last night that we hadn't really planned. My sister said, we're going to a Christmas caroling. You want to go? We said, well, I guess so. Where is it? Well, it's down near Pittsburgh. Oh, <laughs> okay. So we went through the woods and followed the little rabbit trail on the phone. And um, we finally got there. It was a huge community. And old friends who I'd known lived in Chapel Hill area moved down there. And they keep inviting people into their home. And that's just their way of doing things. They've been there a year and a half. They've had two Christmas carolings. So I think they did the first one probably while they were unpacking. And they, they invited people all over the neighborhood. There were probably 50 people there, at least, see, my wife said. And so we went out after we had all our little refreshments, and we went out into singing carols. And there were a few pre-planned houses. And then every now and then, people would come out hearing it, and they'd stand on their porch and say, like, you want to hear a Christmas carol? Yeah, and they'd clap and they'd cheer. And if you listen to the words of the songs, you're thinking, you're preaching the gospel as you sing. I hope these words stick, and I hope that people remember there's, there's so much to understanding who Jesus is and the light he's brought. And that light will come through us as we share God's love. So may his love grow in us and change us until we love others as he loves us. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beautiful reminder that comes every year of how you reached out to us. We thank you for your sacrificial love, for becoming a human when you could have justly let us go. And you welcome us back and you celebrate our return. We ask that we would take the opportunities we have to share with others, that we would point to you, kneel before you, and praise you for who you are and for how you can change our lives. We ask that you would bless this season. Please bring our attention back to you when it so easily goes somewhere else. And we praise you for your work here in Kenya and other places around the world. And we praise you that there'll be many people in that day that will be singing your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. 